Hi everybody, Jed Ayers here, and welcome to another episode of The Attic. As you may know, it was an attic in Bremen, Germany, where iGel got its start 20 years ago. A whole host of famous tech companies started in humble places, like attics. With Facebook, it was a dorm room. HP and Amazon started in a garage. And visiting us today in the attic is a very special guest, Kevin Goodman of AWS. Kevin is the director of product management for AWS. He started his career as a coder and now holds many patents. He's a technical product leader who's customer obsessed. And at the heart of it, he knows how to solve big, complex technical problems. Along the way, he co-founded and led two venture-backed startups, RTO Software, which was acquired by VMware in 2010, and FS Logics that Microsoft acquired in 2018. Today, Kevin's joining us up in the attic because he's a pioneer in the EUC space, and we're excited to catch up with him. Well, Kevin, welcome to the attic. It's uh, wonderful to see you. It's been far too long. I think the last time I saw you was at Disrupt. Uh, was, it feels like a long time ago. Uh, so welcome to the attic. Yeah, that was uh, Disrupt, the one that was out in California, not even the one that was in Tennessee. So right. it has been a while. Too I think long. that was shortly after the FS Logics acquisition. Yeah, well, uh, we're very excited to talk to you about uh, what you're up to at AWS and all things EUC. But since this is the attic and uh, a big part of the attic isn't about technology, it's really about leadership and values and kind of a personal story of, of, of a sort of legendary entrepreneur. Uh, we wanted to sort of dig in and kind of hear some of the pieces <laughs> of your story that maybe some of the uh, world doesn't know. So yeah, we'll start with maybe just the, uh, the very beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and you know your er early childhood? Sure, sure. So uh, uh, early on, I lived in New Jersey and actually a stint in Delaware. Uh, my father worked for a company called General Foods, and then I, we moved to Delaware, and he was the uh, plant manager for the Jello division. So all that powdered Jello uh, gets at the time was packaged in Dover, Delaware, um, and uh, then his job took him down to Atlanta, Georgia, when I was a teenager, and uh, we moved there. Um, so he could get a job working packaging country time lemonade, among other things. Oh, I used to love this stuff when I grew up, growing up. The granular, the little granular stuff, right? You mixed it with water. 2,700 pounds of sugar and 300 pounds of yellow, plus some flavorings, make <laughs> up country time lemonade. So it was nine to one sugar. So what you're you saying were... is it wasn't really a healthy choice. Wow, depends, you know, growing kids need energy, right? So. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. So uh, were you, did you have brothers and sisters? Uh, I do. I am one of six. I've wow, got okay. three sisters and two brothers. Wow, okay. And which, wh where are you in the... Uh... Uh, right in the middle. But here's something interesting. So um, my uh, brother, my younger brother didn't come along until I was five. So I was the baby for five years as well. So I've been the baby, I was the middle child until we moved down to Georgia. And then my older uh, siblings were grown and out of the house. So I felt like the oldest child for right, a while. Right. So uh, my sister who's in leadership training tells me I exhibit 
leadership qualities because I'm able to put myself in everybody's spot there so I can right. be empathetic with all people I run across. So you were in high school in Atlanta? Uh, that's right. I graduated from high school um, in Atlanta and then went on to the University of Georgia. Okay. And so how did you find yourself in tech? I, I seem like you've had a great career in tech. So what was the uh, sequence that led you to technology? You know, I, serendipity, I guess. I was never into computers. I didn't really even know what they were in high school. And I wanted to be a math major in college. Uh, math is the one thing that's not very subjective, right? You either have the right answer or you don't. And I enjoyed that. Um, uh, but they made us take a Fortran class. It was a mandatory class. And to be honest, the math was 10 times harder in college than it was in, in high school. And I was not the top of the class. When we took this Fortran class, and I thought it was pretty easy. I thought I actually did very well on a midterm exam. And all of my um, uh, fellow students who were kicking my butt in math, some of them were crying um, after the midterm when the grades were handed out. And one of them asked, hey, are you, are you going to do a curve? And the professor said, no. And they were like, why not? You're so mean. And he goes, because somebody got 100 on it. And that somebody was me. And I was like, I stayed after class. And I just asked him, you know, can you make a living at this? Because this stuff's actually pretty cool and kind of easy. So that's how I got into it originally. Great. And so uh, you, you finished college and then where, where, did, where did you get your first job? So uh, very quickly, the one item that was a big change for me is the IBM PC came out during my when I when I was a young pup coding. And, you know, when the technology changes, everybody's on the same starting line. So I'm like, I'm in. I'll do that. And uh, there was a situation where a project required the IBM PC and I got into it. And uh, for somebody who's ambitious and, and, and likes to do their own learning, I kind of picked it up. And from there, got jobs programming outside, of, you know, changed jobs of several times. In 1995, I joined a company in which the founder was good friends with a gentleman named Mark Templeton. And Mark Templeton was traveling from wherever he lived to go to work at this company in Fort Lauderdale. And he stopped in Atlanta to say hi to his, uh, his friend. I got to meet him. I think he was going to be VP of marketing or some such, right? Mm -hmm. And talking about Citrix, and I'd never heard of it before. What is that? That's how I got into end user computing from that chance meeting with Mark Templeton. Kevin, great that you, uh, you connected with Mark early in his career, uh, obviously a hugely influential guy in the end user compute space and still uh, at it today. We actually had him on the attic. He was our first guest. Yeah. So, amazing how that uh, chance meeting could totally change, change the direction of your career and uh, you know, completely route you towards a, a world that you're still living in today, 30 years later. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Who would have thought that? You know, who would who would have thought that 30 years later I'd still be doing this? 
based on him needing a place to stay for the night on his way to Fort Lauderdale. So I guess the moral of the story is uh, you know, always have an open uh, mind to meeting people and I think probably a curious nature. I'm sure you asked him a few questions that night that you know, sparked your whole interest in this space. I can remember one to this day, very particular. He called Citrix at the time back office software. Those were the terms we used right then. And what he's, here's how he described it to me. So uh, do you guys use Lotus Notes? So oh, absolutely, we use it for like email and other things like that. He goes, uh, yeah, what version you're on? And I went, I have no idea because they update versions consistently like it felt like every month there was a new version and we were on 4.6.11 and and it's eight diskettes and i had to abandon my workstation so the it guy could put eight diskettes in and mark went okay imagine this you install notes once on the back office server and then you put a citrix client out on your server and you never update notes again on your machine. I went, I'm sold. Uh, let's get a copy of this right away. What a fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. You got product market fit here, I remember telling him, you know? That's great. I guess Mark was a, um, a visionary in terms of how he could tell the technology even back before he even started, it sounds like. Uh, yes, it's no mistake he became the CEO of, uh, when you look back on his career, and you talked about that in the attic, there's no mistake, there was no mistake he was going to end up running something like that. He was right. that dynamic of personality way back in 95, I guess it was. Yeah, so let's talk about your progression to being a, a running a company and being an entrepreneur. So you met Mark, how did you end up uh, running a company and starting a company? So that, that fantastic company that I worked for, that I learned so much, is a company called Softlocks. In the year 2000, with all the other downturns in technology, um, all the dot bombs, it, it didn't make it. And I found myself needing something to do. And um, uh, did some consulting work. Uh, for a company out in Seattle that was trying to get their product onto Citrix, only they couldn't get very many users on the server, hardly any at all. Yet Office, you could get 50 users on this server, but their software, they couldn't get it on. And so uh, RTO software and T-Scale, the product that helped to optimize Citrix servers to get more users on it, came from that consulting agreement and I started debugging trying to figure out why Word was succeeding and Excel was succeeding but their product wasn't. As it turned out, T-Scale um, was a result of that, you know, necessity being the mother of invention. I had to figure out a way to get those applications to share uh, memory amongst themselves the way that the Office applications did. And that, that led to the, the whole T-scale uh, patent of uh, dynamic rebasing, they call it. And uh, this was a product I thought that could actually sell. And if, if this company needed it, a lot more companies would need it, I, I presumed. And I even thought it could support outside investors. So I went and pitched it and got funded. And the result is uh, RTO software. 
which is an amazing story, right? So, I mean, I guess what led you to believe that you could start a company? It sounds like you had a, the intuition of, of a consulting contract and somebody that liked the software, but you just, you believed that you could, you could make a company out of it. So uh, I'll make another attic reference, the one to Brian Madden, who's a great friend. He says, we stand on the shoulders of giants. The CEO of that company was a gentleman named Payment Puladesh. And Payment, and I take a lot of my um, uh, managerial philosophy from him. He taught you how to do his job. Mm -hmm. And so I sat there and watched as he dealt with the venture capitalists and such. Um, I actually did what they call bird dogging for him, where he'd bring a company that had, and I'd do the technical due diligence on it. And, um, you know, I felt like by standing at his side, I was uh, uh, capable of going out and, uh, you know, leaving the nest and trying it for myself. And so you, how, uh, how long did you run this RTO once you kind of started realizing you could sell it, you got some investment and then you, you grew it? So we did that consulting for a couple of years after that. And I think we got invested in around 2003 or four and starting selling it. I was not the CEO at the time, though. I was just VP of development. And in 2005, I went out to lunch with the board. I was chairman of the board, but I, I was not the CEO. I went out to lunch with the, the investors who were on the board. And they said, we're thinking about making a change at CEO. And I was like, okay. And I'm waiting for them to tell me who. And one of them, I remember, said, you know, when the game is on the line, winners want the ball. And they went, me? Okay. And they're like, what would you do if you were CEO? And I, boy, I enumerated about five things I would do immediately. And they both looked at each other and made the change that afternoon. And I became the CEO. Wow. Okay. So that now you're the CEO of this company and you, you did your five things immediately. And what happened? Um, so I'll tell you the, the, the first thing that I noticed is the CEOs can't write code. They're too busy. As a matter of fact, they spend more than half their time on sales related things, customer related things out in front of the customers. I immediately went on the road to assure all our resellers, you know, in the Citrix market, resellers win the day. So I was traveling all over the place, uh, both across the US and in the UK and other places where we had resellers. Gained about 25 pounds from taking them all out to dinner. Lots of steak you know. dinners. Lots of dinners, lots of wine, dessert afterwards. You know how it goes. And I, uh, you know, we, uh, we righted the ship and, uh, you know, we were able to start thriving. And so you ultimately sold this company. Can you tell us how, how that happened? We had a product at the time, something called Virtual Profiles. So our Virtual Profiles caught the eye of both Symantec and of VMware. And we OEM the product to Symantec. At the time, they were getting into this space. And... Um, also caught the eye of VMware, who OEM virtual profiles. They called it View Persona, and they said, "Well, how do we get, how do we get you to work on this?" And I said, "In the usual way, you pay us money for it, <laughs> you know." Anyway, uh, VMware made a proper offer, and we accepted it. And uh, uh, funny story about those guys doing VC Ops review. As far as I know, they still work there today. 
Wow. They re great company to work for, and, and that's proof right there. They all still work there. That is amazing, especially with all the ups and downs from VMware with, with what's happened with their EUC, for that to still be there and those people to still be there, that's a testament. That's great. So uh, tell me a little bit about what happened after you left, because I know you kind of started another company not too long after that. You had, uh, you had yes. the bug, I guess, of, of uh, entrepreneurial. I'm a... Uh, I'm an East Coast guy, and I still had kids in high school and stuff like that. And it got to be a grind. It was a great place to work for, a mm -hmm. uh, fantastic workplace to work for. But outside factors led me to want to get back to Georgia. And I left in 2012. And um, I somebody even gave me a gold watch. Um, some of the old employees gave me because I was retiring right so <laughs> i thought i was retired watch out for those um, gold watches kevin <laughs> yeah yeah I, by the way i when i went to uh uh startup fs logics i think i got an email that said i want my watch back <laughs> <laughs> you know when you say you're going to retire and you're going to go you know fix up your basement and rewire that and maybe pick up guitar <laughs> that's a lot of fun for about six weeks <laughs> then right, you're going, right. uh, yeah. I, I also remember I was going to get really good at golf, uh, but I'm, I'm not a golfer. Uh, I, I, I firmly believe that golf can be taught, but it can't be learned. So I was looking for something to do. I talked to Randy Cook. Randy had a built-in team of two excellent engineers named Jeremy and Brian and off we went. I think we founded uh, FS Logics December of 2012. And so what was the uh, problem that you were going to solve? Could you share that with the so audience? The original problem is, and, and maybe it's not even solved today, but applications, getting the users their applications. It's so difficult, right? You either install them via SCCM or Endpoint Manager now, or you virtualize them with uh, a variety of tools that they have out there. And due to the FS Logics team, and the FS and FS Logics stands for file systems, due to their file system knowledge, we're saying disks are cheap these days. You can get disks, no problem. What if you installed everything into the base image? Mm -hmm. And then, depending on who the user is, we'll hide what doesn't belong to them. And that way, no matter who their user is, where they log in, when they log in, based on, say, like Active Directory groups and users, we'll have absolutely no problem getting the user exactly what they need. And that was the original FS Logics. I think we called it masking product. So obviously, lots of good good technology uh, that you've brought to, to bear. But what, what kind of values as a leader you know, do you think helped get you where you are? Um, number one, I try to surround myself with the smartest people I can find. I'm not the brightest bulb, but boy, I look really good when there's some bright bulbs surrounding me, you know? And second, don't kid yourself. You either have a product market fit or you don't. We hear about so many startups that are, you know, solutions desperately seeking problems. And second, have a big market, have a huge market. Mm -hmm. That way, guys like me could make mistakes and they're not fatal flaws. You know, you mess up and it's not a fatal flaw. 
Um, those things are, are the key. The last one I would say, and this is the hardest one, our software worked. It did what we said it did. Customers would buy it and it would do what the salesman told them it would do. And in a novel idea. That, it, <laughs> And if that if that's what they wanted, then they became very happy. And now every, all software has bugs, ours included. We used to have a uh, a tenant that we will earn the money the customers paid for us before we go search a new money. So I didn't have to be in that support meeting where sales was saying, "If I don't get this feature, we're going to lose this uh, customer," because there were customers with bugs that we, you know, so I didn't have to be there to tell them what was what. Eventually all the sales guys all knew that that's the way things worked. Um, that customer obsession, if you will, I didn't know to give it that name. I didn't know that name until the where I am now, right. but that customer obsession serves you well over time. So any advice for, I know we have a lot of young people that watch the attic and sort of look to uh, some markers. Any advice for a young person starting out in tech today? It's a different world than it was uh, for you in, uh, when you started, but any, any advice for young people? You know, when I went to school, there wasn't an entrepreneur's uh, major that you could take. And now they teach that in college. And, you know, they're teaching stuff that took me 30 years to learn. So I think they have a head start. But here's what I say to anyone who reaches out to me for advice. I'll ask them these questions. Why are you doing this? And if they say to make a lot of money, I say, you know, you should uh, apply to one of the big companies out there and work as a programmer for 10 years and, and cash in your RSUs and you'll have a lot of money. The ones that tell me I'm, I'm doing this because I'm passionate about it, it's a need that has to be solved. Um, I, I won't be able to sleep if somebody else does this instead of me because I know the world needs this thing. Those are the people that I'm, I, I think are gonna succeed as entrepreneurs. Um, those are the ones that won't cut and run when the going gets tough, because as you and I know, the going's tough more to, more than it's easy. Oh, yeah, you know, exactly. it's uh, and uh, I'm fond you know, of saying, saying uh, yeah, you, you probably have your own say. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I don't go first. Uh, my saying is if it was easy, everyone would be doing it and they wouldn't pay us for it. That's exactly what yeah. I say. But I, I forget the last. I didn't have the last part, but that's exactly what I was about to say. If it was easy, everyone would do it. It's fun to chat about them now, but at the time I was, you know, there were many sleepless nights being miserable, you know, a lot of those challenges were like ordeals, right. but you know, you get through them and then uh, the more you get through them, the next one doesn't feel as bad. So one thing I do think that stands out for me, Kevin, when I think about your career is a lot of good partnering with tech companies, right? Helping VMware, Symantec, Microsoft solve a problem. Can you talk a little bit about kind of how you, view partnering and what what made you successful there? So this is a big, huge community. And if you talk about a whole product solution, there are many areas that just aren't solved. You know, there a, a lot of them aren't solved today. And it is um, confusing for the customer sometimes. A customer doesn't know which way to go. And I can see with a very technical product like T-Scale or image masking or profile containers, the customer not being able to, you know, know for themselves. And 
And let's face it, if they buy the wrong product, it could be their career uh, on the line. So they reach out to people they do trust to say, hey, is this real? And imagine the situation like we have with FS Logics, where the customer success rep from Office 365 says, yeah, this thing's real. It, it, it's real. You should try it. And, um, you know, I was bragging on my engineers before. My engineers gave metrics that you could test against. So you didn't have to take our word for it. You could just test against it, right. you know. Whatever a disk queue is, everybody knows it shouldn't be 70, and it's 70 with roaming profiles, and it's two with FSLogix containers. You can figure that stuff out for yourself and test it immediately. You don't have to believe. And that is those two things, having those partners stand up and say something nice about you and having that you know software that works and metrics that'll allow you to prove it to the customer, that's the two things that, you know, it becomes very synergistic at that point. Yeah. Well, switch gears for just a minute and ask you, I, you've obviously had a blessed career and I know you have a big roots in Atlanta. It sounds like your dad moved there and you uh, live there most of your life. Uh, I know you give back to the community um, and you've, you've been blessed in so many ways, but can you talk a little bit about how you contribute and give back to the community? So uh, an investor in FS Logics is a gentleman named Patrick Gann. And it turns out that his daughter needed a heart transplant. And as a tiny child needed a heart transplant, um, was on the list for a long time, finally received one. And then Patrick and his wife, they get the news that the half-life of a transplanted heart at the time was like 12 years. So, oh my, my three-year-old's gonna make it to 15. That is just, that, that just takes you back. It's chilling right there. So he started a charity called Enduring Hearts, and their sole goal is to increase the longevity of uh, hearts and pediatric heart transplant patients. And I am very proud to be associated with him because that number is now 17, that half-life is now 17 on there and it keeps going up. And I, you know, I'm, I wait for the day and the motto of uh, Enduring Hearts is let's make this heart the last one you'll ever need. And if our listeners want to look this up, should they just go to the Enduring Hearts website? Or? Yeah, in, in, EnduringHearts.org is, uh, is, is where it is. So uh, let's uh, switch gears just for a minute. And uh, I, I'm just surprised that we didn't see a uh, Kevin Goodman you know, third startup. Uh, I want to find out, how, how did you end up at the other end of the spectrum, the biggest company in the world? You know, uh, obviously one that uh, is also very entrepreneurial and customer centric, like you said. And yeah, I think we just saw uh, them, uh, Jeff Bezos send someone into, send himself into space <laughs> this past week. So yeah. I'm sorry that I didn't land at AWS at the beginning of my career. You know, it's just that perfect fit for me that they they have all the base stuff that you would need if you want to do an EUC product and then they are out and entrepreneurial in which they'd let you build new stuff if you the want to. The world's largest incubator. <laughs> yeah, I you know what? I believe um, that's what I've been told. You know, Jeff Bezos is the best venture capitalist out there. Right. So, you know, why, why not work for the best? Well, I was very inspired by the letter that he wrote uh, when he he retired as CEO, right? And he said day zero, day one, it's always day one. And 
I, maybe you can speak a little bit to that because you're probably on the inside. You see this value, the day one value. Uh, it, it's always day one at Amazon, and it is because of Jeff and the S team, as we call it, have put out these leadership principles that if you look at these leadership principles, you pretty much understand how to deal um, in a corporation, in a large corporation with lots of customers, and they guide you in everything you do. And when I saw the leadership principles, I agreed with them. I think I said earlier, I didn't know to call it customer obsession at Episodics, but that's what we had. We had a customer obsession and that's why we succeeded. That's the first leadership principle at uh, Amazon. And I said 14, we just added two more recently. One is to become the world's best employer. And the other one is with the scale that we have comes responsibility. So we're also a good corporation too. Uh, not only a great place to work, but we wanna be a good corporation um, for our customers and, and, and for the world. So uh, who wouldn't wanna be a part of that? Yeah, well, I guess uh, I'd love to hear what you're actually doing. Are you able to share with us? I know it's been sort of a little bit of a, a shrouded in mystery what Kevin's up to, but maybe you're building the next EUC spaceship. So could you share with the team? Uh, in in due time, I promise you'll be one of the first to hear about okay, it. Okay, great. Well, maybe we'll have but to have not, you. Uh, I can't tell you anything I'm working on all now. All right. Well, we'll get you back on the attic when you're ready to make that announcement. But uh, yeah, so uh, obviously great to have you on. Uh, we we really appreciate learning more about you and your, your story. Well, I guess without uh, giving away what you're doing, maybe you can give us some projections. What do you think the EUC space looks like five years from now? Okay, so wow, um, my crystal ball's a little cloudy after two or three years, but what I believe is that um, first, we now have a name for what we do, right? I used to have to try to describe it at dinner parties. So uh, we're that company that helps you get a Windows desktop over the internet. Now I just say we're in the work from home industry and they understand what I'm talking about. And um, you know, 2020 was tragic for a billion reasons, but it also showed enterprises that work from home is legitimate. There are companies now that have realized that work from home is a very productive way to get work done. And a lot of companies have decided that they want to go back to um, the office but in a hybrid situation, maybe a couple of days at home, a couple of days in the office, you know, if that's the case, all that growth we saw during 2020 in order to get the, um, you know, users their desktops so they could work from home, that's going to continue. And I think the growth just continues to grow, maybe not at the rate of 2020, but I'm expecting that growth to continue, um, you know, for the next several years at least. Yeah, well, I agree with you, and I do believe it will be a hybrid world, right? We all uh, yearn for that face-to-face -face connection. I uh, look forward to hopefully seeing you somewhere in the world in the near future, Kevin. And, uh, you know, absolute pleasure and honor to have you on, and uh, very much look forward to that next uh, time we can have you on and you can share what you're doing to change the world.
That sounds good. And um, thank you so much for having me on. And it's always fun to be associated with iGel, which is just such a great company that you built. So congratulations to you well, as well. Like you said, I stand uh, on the shoulders of others that have gotten us here over the last 20 years, but it's been a, a really fun ride. So yeah. thank you. Thanks so much, Kevin. And for all of our listeners, thank you for stopping by the attic. We're really excited about our upcoming guests, including Thomas Charlton, who's the CEO of Goliath Technologies, Tim Minahan, the CMO of Citrix, and David Smith, the CEO of Teradici. So as always, lots of interesting perspectives on tech coming your way from the attic. Please subscribe to the iGel YouTube channel and you'll get all the alerts about when the next episodes will drop. And until we meet again, this is Jed Ayers wishing you a great day, be kind to each other, and be well.